Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics podcast with Tim and Jacko. And today we have a special guest. I know we often probably say that quite a lot that the guest is special, but this one certainly is Phil Lurney from the Advanced Coaching Academy. Yeah, Phil's been in the industry a long time and certainly since I started as a strength and conditioning coach, he was somebody who I've, I've known of and followed and, and watched his work and learned from over the years. And he's, he's such a great guy as well and, and really got a wealth of expertise of training so many different types of clients and as, as a personal trainer and and now working with with coaches to upskill them so that they can now go out and deliver higher quality training and support to their clients in a, in a fitness environment and industry. So loads of information in this one. Some really kind of top level stuff as well about just principles of how we can start to change our behaviors. How can we improve adherence to whether it be sleep, nutrition or training? Um, and then we dive into a little bit of detail around particularly an area of expertise for fillers, hypertrophy and, bo- and body weight training. And is it even possible where well, you can find out from somebody who knows a lot about those subjects so sit back relax and enjoy phil learney on the school of calisthenics podcast hit the jingle so phil welcome to the podcast and thank you for uh, for coming on the show with us thank you for having me gents no problem so just for um just for the one person potentially that uh, you know hasn't come across <laughs> you on on social media on Instagram wherever um, just give us a little bit of a background to to where where you've your sort of story to training you know you started way back playing playing rugby and then where you've gone to now with all of your coach education work okay uh, in a nutshell uh, <laughs> was got into got into training via kind of sports uh, from a, a young age I was I was overweight as a kid and uh, did a lot of sport never really changed much physically uh and 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 got into it through that kind of avenue it was something i was very passionate about something i enjoyed uh played played sport at a decent level when i was when i was younger uh rugby cricket uh both good levels and then uh, you know sport was the thing i was into uh, outside of art actually was the other thing i was i wanted to be a graphic designer for years and then from that just just went down the avenue of pt uh went and did my degree uh, came out of that, started a PT business, and and really from there just wanted to help more people. And the, the limitation that I had as a PT and as a coach was that, that I was dealing with, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a handful of people at, at any one time. And the thing was, is if you were good as a coach, and you know, by all accounts, I, w- I was okay at what I did, and. I ended up with clients for long periods of time, which is kind of what you're striving for. You know, you want to retain clients. And and I did that. And unfortunately, that limited the amount of people that I was actually helping. So in order to expand that, I spent a lot of time on forums and bits and pieces, just just purveying information and giving, you know, my knowledge as good as it was at the time to other people and trying to get that out there. And from that, just, just ended up doing a lot of educational stuff, ended up doing seminars, and develop that into now running my my own academy for coaches, which is, you know, we, we do business stuff, we do coaching stuff, a lot of it based off my own experience, tied in with a lot of, you know, formal knowledge of stuff. So, so that's where we are really. And that's kind of what brought me to where I am now. Yeah, I think one thing that's really cool for me to connect with you at this level, Phil, now is like when I first started becoming a strength and conditioning coach, you were one of the people who I was following and, and seeing what you were doing. And um, I've sort of seen your uh, how you've, you've changed and, and your messaging over time as you've sort of evolved from being on the gym floor. And I, I was always like so 
sort of admired the amount of skin that you put in the game um, from from being a PT. I mean, the, the amount of hours that you spent on the gym floor with coaching clients is actually something which is probably f- becoming less relevant, less common in the industry these days where the format and how people are learning has changed but one thing that I'm really get, keen to get your, your insight on is you've trained literally everybody probably from Joe Public who's working or uh, just any sort of level in the city potentially through to you you've done work with professional athletes um, what are the major sort of learnings in terms of behavior change that you've you've come across in those things because you've obviously people are coming to you with with certain things that they want to change about their lifestyle the way they look their whatever that might be i know it's a broad subject but hopefully we can we can drill down into it what's the process of moving somebody to a place where they're in they're going to be in a better situation or circumstance i mean it's you know it's very much like business it's it's a needs analysis you know, it doesn't matter who you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with professional athletes, whether you're dealing with your public, whoever you're dealing with, it's a, it's a need analysis. And, and if you can decide for what they need uh, to improve whatever they're trying to improve, whether it's, you know, their physical appearance, whether it's their performance, whether it's whatever it might be, and provided at the end of that needs analysis, you've got the skills and the, and the tools that can, that can fulfill those needs, you can help them. And, and, you know, my background was with sport and I've always been into strength and conditioning and, the, the avenues that, 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 that I was left with when really it came to the crunch. And, I, you know, I always wanted to deal with athletes. That was always my thing. I wanted to deal with athletes. But really, in the grand scheme of things, what happened was I ended up in a fitness club like a lot of people do. I ended up dealing with Joe Public and thoroughly enjoyed it and, and realized that there was bigger sort of opportunity out there for me to deal with the general populace and, and, and more opportunity to help more people than, than if I went down the avenues of training professional athletes. And, you know, the problem was with the, the, the professional athletes at the time when I kind of got into the industry, which is 20 odd years ago, it was that there was no real way of getting into clubs or, you know, pro athletes and the vast majority of pro athletes, <laughs> as horrendous as it may sound, most of them are skinned, you know, is professional sport for the most part. There's very few professional sports that pay well. And, you know, for them to be paying huge amounts of money for a strength and conditioning coach, meant the opportunities were limited. And I think at the time there was probably two or three strength and conditioning coaches in the whole of the UK that were actually earning probably more than a living wage. And, you know, it's a bit different now. You've got the professional clubs that are, that are, have full-time coaches in them. We're moving down that kind of a more American thing. And, and there are more opportunities for S&C coaches. And, and I think maybe, maybe if the tables were turning, you know, I, I was starting in the industry now, maybe I'd, I'd pursue those avenues. Uh, but, but I don't know, cause obviously I've, I've got that kind of bias now where would, given what I know now, would I, would I take that opportunity? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I would, Yeah. but yeah, sports was always my thing. So I had a toolbox full of things that could help professional athletes. And yeah. I was fortunate enough throughout my career to, to be able to purvey that in some way and got opportunity to deal with a lot of pro athletes and, you know, people with very specific physical requirements, bodybuilders, physique competitors and you know right down to movie stars really you know people who needed to get in shape for specific roles in specific amounts of time so it was it was cool i you know i, I had fun and it was uh you know it was a it, it was a great experience because i got to use the tools that i'd acquired in my toolbox which a lot of coaches don't get to do yeah and i guess because you ended up working across such a breadth of variety of different people it gives you then that context to be able to do more of what you're doing now whereas if you went down a bit of a narrow route working with a particular club in a you know what some order might do now and you then just get specialized at doing snc for rugby or 
whatever, you know, some other sport that you don't potentially get that breadth. And something you've mentioned a couple of times there was that I think it sounds like it's potentially coming out as a bit of a theme of wanting to help more people. So you, the fact that you have worked across that breadth then gives you the context to be able to now, as you, what you're doing with your um, sort of up, up educating and upskilling uh, other PTs, if you didn't have that breadth, it would be difficult for you to give that sort of level of, of understanding for them. Is that probably fair to say? Yeah. And that, you know, and that's, as I said, it's, you know, it's, it's the tools you've got in your toolbox, but it's also the, uh, it's understanding different populations. And, and, you know, unless you work with those populations, it's very difficult to, to understand it. I talk an awful lot to coaches about walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. And, you know, you hear this, this kind of phrase thrown about, banded about, but I do a lot of educational stuff with respect to explaining to a coach who's potentially never been overweight, never been in, you know, in, in that kind of probably psychological position or behavioral position that somebody overweight is. And to an outsider, they're just going to look at it and go, well, you know, we hear those kind of cliches and the, you know, the, the, the phrases that people come out with and, you know, they say it's just a matter of eating less and moving more. And yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is, but it isn't quite that simple. And it isn't that simple because a lot of coaches don't understand what somebody else is going through. And this is again, in professional sport. And, you know, I played a, a you know, it was kind of a semi-professional level in, in several sports. And it was, it was, I got opportunity to sit in that, in that place and see what it was all about. You know, I've powerlifted, I've done bodybuilding, I've, you know, and, and all these different things. And part of it is that experience. You know, I remember there was a point probably, probably about 12 years ago where I was actually planning on moving to the US. And, you know, because I just, I, I just felt like I'd kind of topped out with respect to being a PT in this country. And at the time there wasn't many opportunities for me to, you know, expand in the directions I wanted to. So part of that was I went and I, I played American football from American football club because I wanted to learn about the spawn and the demands and the needs and the requirements of it. And the only way I was going to ever going to do that was to experience it myself, in my view, you yeah. know, and it gave me a better overall picture of the requirements of something. And I think it isn't always a case of you have to do that sport. It's a bit like the argument with football managers. People are always like, well, you know, to, to coach a bodybuilder, you have to be a bodybuilder, which I think is absolutely tosh. You know, to coach a football team, you don't have to be a high level footballer. You look at the vast majority of football managers most of them have never played football at a huge, you know, level. And yeah, there is that practical experience, but it doesn't always mean that somebody's going to be a good coach. We'd like to interrupt this broadcast today to bring you a customer service announcement. And we want to tell you how excited we are about the virtual classroom where our online community of amazing people are working together to redefine their impossible and achieve things in calisthenics that they never thought they would be able to, Jacko. Yeah, if you've not thought about it yet, you should really consider uh, becoming a member of the virtual classroom. You become part of that supportive community and you then get access to absolutely every single training program we've got, every workout we do, every challenge, every webinar. And there is specific courses in there for everything from beginners to, to handstands and human flags and everything in between you get access to all of it you get to learn at your own pace online with us within the supportive community of people encouraging each other to redefine their impossible guys it's really something special we would love it if you come and check it out and until you do check it out and we see you in there let's get back to our regularly scheduled program yeah. That's different. I yeah. think there's something like that in the sports that I've worked in in the past. In some ways, it can become a bit of a hindrance because you actually get stuck into doing what you've always done and the way that you were coached. You become and biased. The, yeah, yeah, they're the things that you carry in rather than actually not necessarily being at that level and, and having the opportunity to, to see, be a more generalist 
approach. Yeah. I think if you, some things come easy to you, like the example you said of PT, it's never been overweight. It goes, oh, it's easy. You know, for them, it's easy to lose weight. Whereas then if something becomes easy to you, I, it makes it, I think def, definitely makes it more difficult for you to coach it. Like, you know, when we, me and Tim with starting the scorecast next, when we were trying to learn to do a handstand for the first time at 35 years old, having ne- ne- never done it at all before, like we had no idea like how, how we were starting. And the fact that we made so many mistakes along the way means that when someone else is completely scared of like kicking up against the wall, when you can level with them at a point and go, look, I know what this is like, da, 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 you've actually then got some strategies to, to give them that's actually going to help them. And, it, and it's a degree of empathy, right? Is that yeah. you've got to understand where they are now and where they want to be. And, and, and part of that kind of story, you know, a lot of people who are into calisthenics of, of, came from a background of maybe doing gymnastics as a kid, which you don't remember what it was like not to be able to do a handstand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you can just do them, you know, whereas as a, you know, a 30 year old, you know, a 30 year old man, you, you know, trying to do something you've never done before that involves body weight. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, and I'm a massive fan of kids doing things like gymnastics, dance, whatever it might be as yeah. in an early age, because of, you know, the, the skill and the coordination and the motor control and all of that stuff that comes with it. I'm a massive fan of that. And, and, you know, I think it's something that all kids should be doing and whether they take to it or whether they enjoy it or not, they're left with a bunch of skills that as they get older, they can go off in any sporting avenue or direction they want. And ultimately they're left doing something they enjoy because they're actually quite good at it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than, you know, it's like, like dance, right? You know, when you've got, you, you feel like you've got two left feet because really you didn't learn it when it was probably meant to be learned, yeah. you know, coordination, rhythm, yeah. all those things. Yeah. You know, kids are going to pick that up in a heartbeat. Whereas, you know, as I say, you know, the, your old man, it's slightly different because yeah. there's more to think about, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you about um, sort of behavior change, and, and you touched on it then when you said um, that example we're using as someone trying to learn a handstand for the very first time. Um, the same where you might have someone that's trying to be, you know, a bodybuilder or someone's trying to lose a certain amount of weight or just any one of these different populations that are trying to get something different to happen. Um, for us, we talk about redefining your impossible because that thing you're trying to do, or, you know, that I employ you as the, the, the coach to work with me, um, I'm, I'm asking you to help me achieve this thing that I currently have never done before. And therefore, um, regardless of whether I know I've done it myself or I know all the steps to make that happen for you, there's something around the psychology of a good coach being able to, the empathy you touched on already, um, to be able to get across that information, regardless of whether you've got the right information. And I think from, from a lot of the stuff seeing that you've uh, been putting out more, I guess, over the last few years around how do I, how do we get coaches, um, to to improve their understanding of individuals from getting them to make changes, um, I'd really have you got any any sort of framework or blueprint or ideas that you sort of follow when you're trying to guide someone to doing something new. It doesn't matter that it's whether it's a handstand or not. Just the, the principle of behavior change. It's probably it's 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 progressive overload. I mean, this is this is a basic principle of weight training. The, the, you know, I talk a lot about in seminars. I was, I was uh, really disappointed when I actually threw it at a bunch of brand new level threes and said, progressive overload, you, you were taught about that, right? They're like, well, no, not really. And progressive <laughs> overload is, we apply that to every principle. And you look at, you look at, you know, what you guys do is, is fundamentally a, a kind of hybrid version of gymnastics in many respects, right? Yeah. Is that 
how does gymnastics work? If you if you're taught anything in gymnastics, what it is is progressive overload. Is that you're you're you teach them a basic form or a regression of the final form, right? Mm. You know, so if you're teaching a handstand, you teach them something first before they do a handstand. It might be assisted, it might be mobilized, it might be with bent knees, it might be against a wall, it might be, you know, and you use a regression of it. And this is one of the things in coaching that we forget hugely about in all other aspects of coaching. So for example, nutrition. Nutrition is about progressive overload or kind of underload in some respects. But <laughs> what I'm looking at is I'm looking at what somebody currently does or can do. You know, so if we look at diet, for example, I don't then want to change everything about. So if we take what somebody takes from food, people take satisfaction, they take pleasure, they they it's put into a social context normally. You know, you're eating with someone or you're eating without someone, or there's some reason behind it, there's convenience of it. There's a whole lot of factors that circumnavigate that food choice. Now, when we look at progressive overload, the assumption is, and again, this is an assumption that a lot of coaches make, is that you know, and, and let's just, just paint that picture a little bit better. Most coaches are going to be, you know, in there, you know, 18 to maybe 25 when they start, most of them. Now, when they're that age, they have very little in the way of outside commitments. They have very little way in the, you know, of, of other things that they're responsible for. So all they care about is making enough money to be able to go out on a weekend or whatever it might be. Now, their life revolves around diet training. You know, we've all kind of been there and, and most coaches in the industry will have been there at some point. But what that does, that creates this assumption that everybody else is in that same position. So when you say to somebody who eats, a, you know, and I always use this kind of social context as a familiar one, is that on a Friday night, people will have a pattern and behavior that they have on a Friday night. They'll go out, they'll have a few drinks, they'll eat a pizza, whatever it might be. They'll have some behavioral thing that they do on a Friday night after they finish work. Now, what we a coach would do, would look at that and go, right, how do we, when we talk about progressive overload or in the case of diet underload, we want to pull down calories. How am I going to look at what the context of everything that they do, the situation it's in, the who they're doing it with, how they're doing it, the taste, the flavor, the texture, all of those things. How do we factor all of those elements in there? How do we factor all of those elements in there and uh, then regress that? How do we pull that back or draw that back from where it is? So you might look at, for example, pizza and just say, right, how do I save hundred calories on a pizza? Whereas the assumption is from coach's perspective is I'm going to swap that pizza entirely for something completely new, completely different, yeah. completely that needs a completely different social context. I.e., I'm going to go out with your friends and now you've got to order the chicken salad. Yeah. That's not progressive. That's kind of plain stupid. It's a bit like taking somebody who squats hundred kilos and throwing 200 kilo on the back and just saying, keep doing it until you can do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's this is the, the, how people approach, you know, and don't get me wrong. It works for some people. It's a bit like you guys saying to me, right, Phil, just keep trying to do a handstand. Keep trying to do it. And I could keep trying to do it, keep trying to do it, keep trying to do it. And six months later, I'm going to be able to do a handstand. Mm. You know, and that, you know, it's body weight, it's this, that, the other, but you take somebody who's just a little bit weaker, they're probably not going to be able to do it quite as quickly, but they'll do it eventually. But I'm going to fail every single day for yeah. six months. Yeah. And if I mentally can't, yeah. uh, you know, process that, I'm going to give up. Because that's what most people do after repeated failures. They give yeah. up. Mm. And, and what you guys coach and how you guys coach is that you want somebody to be able to have accomplished something, a regressive version of whatever they're trying to, whatever they're trying to achieve. You know, it's like a regressive version where they might be up against the wall. They might be supported by the legs or whatever it might be. Yeah. And this is the, uh, this is what coaches don't apply. They just assume that people are going to go right in at the deep end and change everything. And whether it's, you know, whether it's food, whether it's diet, whether it's just, uh, you know, altering the behavioral patterns. And 
it's it's like what I say with physique, you know, competitions and things like this, is that you've got to accept that if you go into and decide you're going to do a physique competition, your social circle and your friends are probably going to despise you. Yeah. Because that deep end version of that doesn't involve them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why when you talk to bodybuilders, bodybuilding is a very selfish sport and it has to be because you can't consider social engagements. You can't consider other people and go, right. You know, it's like when you, you know, when your other half says to you, you know, will you have some of this ice cream with me? The answer is no, mm. you know, and that's because the social context of it hasn't been considered. You know, yeah. so it's, it's the same whether we're dealing with food, diet, nutrition, whatever it might be, it's progressive overload or regressive. Yeah, I think we get it and, sometimes when people, uh, they might get excited by seeing some of the calisthenic stuff and they like, they try a bit and they go, oh, cracky, yeah, they, they, they really like it. They get it, they like, they, they get sort of hooked on it. Then then all of a sudden they go, after, after a couple of weeks at the beginning, because it's new, they make some quite good progress. Then it's like, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And they have this like huge list of things. They're trying to, they're not doing a progressive overlay. They're trying to change everything and learn everything at once. And what they find out is after a little bit more time, then they get to that point of like failure, failure, failure. And as you said, then ultimately then either get injured or, or give up and actually trying to, I like the idea of progressive overload. When you said progressive overload at first, I just think of adding uh, a little bit more reps and sets or a little bit of weight, but having that as a principle that you apply progressive overload to any area of, of things that you want to want to change or improve on is uh is uh, yeah no is, is a great uh, great takeaway for people and certainly one that I'm going to go and uh, go and use myself. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I say it's beautifully simple and like even going to sleep. Can you just get into bed a little bit earlier, or can you just not look at your phone at, from nine o'clock rather than, than having it on? So I think it, it definitely um, it's definitely a great takeaway for people. Do you think Phil that, that people because physique is an interesting subject around around, around body image and the, the, the social media is sort, sort of giving people this um, this. Uh, this this shop window of what it's like to be able to do some stuff that they might be able to do. So, say for example, we, we see a lot of stuff on on physique. We can see a lot of stuff on calisthenics or, or around um, people want to fast track towards a skill and they want to get from A to B quite quickly. And there's there's almost like a, a disrespect for the for the process because we're being thrown all the time with people who have achieved the end results. Do you find that as a conflict with people? Um, in, in their mindset about how they go about stuff. Is that anything to do with this wanting a direct route from A to B without sort of doing a sensible progressive overload? That, that's expectation management. And that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, what does, what does somebody come to you and ask for? And what are you going to tell them in return? And, and unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of people in this industry tell a lot of porkies mm. is that they'll go, right. Yeah, we can do that in two weeks. I'm like, you know, <laughs> we can, but it's like, you know, I, I I always use the example in, you know, in seminars and, and some, many of the listeners have probably heard me use it before is that if I take a room of 200 people and I put everybody in that room on, they're going to do 20 minutes cardio every day. They're going to go on a, they're going to go on a 1500 calorie day diet. They're going to eat chicken and broccoli every single day, five times. And they're going to do weight training four times a week for an hour at a time. Who gets in shape? Everybody. Yeah. 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 But the only people that get in shape are the people that do it. And the only people that do it will be the ones that will f- that will fit uh, like a jigsaw puzzle into their social context, their situation, their lifestyle, their behaviors, everything. Now, if you've got no responsibilities outside of the gym and outside of nutrition, that's easy. It's just a matter of doing. Yeah. 
you know, and this is the, this is the thing where we have these really false expectancies because people don't, people don't manage expectancies very well of the people they're dealing with. You know, I come to you guys and go, look, I want to be able to do a, I want to be able to do a backflip. Right. So you're going to tell me, right. In order to do backflip, we've got to be able to do this first. You know, you're not all of a sudden going to just stick me on a mat and go, right, jump backwards and spin in the air. <laughs> you know, you might, there might be an assistive thing. You might put me on one of the, the, the big rollover things and, mm. and, and, you know, but there's, there's a regression to it and you've got to go, right. In order to achieve this, you've got to achieve this first. And this is this weird thing in, you know, and I deal with people in business to deal with people in nutrition and, and it's always the same is that people expect to be able to do the, 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 the masterful things before they can do the basic things. And it's, I think that's just a human thing is that, you know, I would love to be able to do some of the shit that you guys do. Sorry, you might have to read that out. (laughs) I'd love to be able to do some of the stuff that you guys do, but really, uh, is that because I'm not skillful enough? Is that not because I'm versed enough in it? It's because my choices are when I go to the gym, I choose not to do the stuff that you guys do. Because I, at present, I don't enjoy it as much as the stuff I do now. Now, if I start to do the stuff I do now and I don't take any more enjoyment out of it, chances are I'm probably going to move down a different avenue. And I might start doing what you guys do and go, right, I actually really enjoy that. And and that's that variety element where, you know, you get bored of things and people always do. And, you know, you've got to move on to a different challenge or something slightly different, something, you know, and I'm sure that you guys, you know, on occasions just fancy going in the gym and just picking up some dumbbells and pumping your biceps up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, it, you know, there is that gratification from it, but whatever you do, you've got to take pleasure from, whether it's yeah. food, whether it's business, whether it's whatever it might be. And, and again, we talk about all these cliches about, you know, what you should, you know, we hear in the, in the Instagram stratosphere at the moment, there's a lot of business advice going about. Mm. And it's always, you know, if you don't like what you do, quit. And I'm like, that doesn't really work. Because <laughs> if you don't like what you do, but it pays your bills, you can't just quit. Yeah. You know, there's got to be a, an exit strategy. There's got to be something which which moves people onto it and say, you know, you should enjoy your work and this. Like that. A lot of people aren't privileged enough that they do or they can. And it isn't always that easy just, you know, find something you enjoy and do it because things that you enjoy don't always pay the bills. Yeah. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing is that, you know, I could spend the next 12 months trying to just do handstands. That ain't going to pay my bills. Mm. Yeah. You know but ultimately, is it something I enjoy and something I take gratification from? If it is, go ahead and do it. Mm. You know, but you've got to look at the bigger picture. And this is, uh, I talk a lot about hierarchies and understanding people's individual hierarchies is that, you know, your hierarchy as a, as a parent changes. Your hierarchy as an adult changes. You know, when you've got a mortgage, when you've got all these different things, your hierarchy as a, as a teenager is very different. You know, who do you put at the top of that list? Are you, are you looking after... You know, if, 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 if our parents didn't, you know, have that concern for us, we'd be in a right sticky situation, you know? So, so your hierarchy changes throughout, you know, if I had my mentality, I had when I was 18, you know, my family wouldn't get a look in, Yeah. you know, I'd be out every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be playing rugby two days a week. I'd be out of training three nights a week. I'd be, but because my hierarchy has changed, those things also need to change. So as a coach, a lot of it is understanding somebody's hierarchy of what's most important to them. Yeah. And what think, are they trying to achieve from what whatever you apply, right? Yeah, we've we've probably been on a a lot of the people that are we call them our students just coming in with the, the whole sort of school theme that 
have been on a similar sort of journey to us. We both used to play rugby and when that finished, we were were looking for some different ways to train because love training. But as you said, I've just got bored of doing a certain thing for for such a long time. And that's how one of the reasons we started getting into playing around with some some bodyweight and calisthenics ourselves. And I think that we get a lot of uh, people coming into it now at at a later age where their hierarchy has changed. And one of the benefits being with a little tiny little bit of kit at home, you can actually get a really good bodyweight workout done if you've got a set of rings and that might only cost you 30 quid from schoolcarsense.com. <laughs> now, um, do you know what I mean? So it's, it makes a, it does as a, as a, if something like, if we think, if we think about we're interested to get your, your thoughts on bodyweight training and how much of that um, you may or may not have used with yourself or with clients and where it fits in, but like the context of even the idea of, I can get a workout done at home that I wouldn't have thought. Like when I used to play rugby in the off season, if we went away on holiday, I'd be like, oh, I can't really do any training, even though I'd probably still like to stay in shape, but actually I'm just not going to do anything because I can't. Whereas the reality is I could have done, I just didn't have the tools in my toolbox to understand how do I change the training environment in a, in, in my situation to be able to use body weight more effectively because I only ever did weight training when I played rugby. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's also looking at the, the, you know, what you're willing and prepared to do. I mean, it's like what I say about clients is that a lot of clients that we deal with over time will come to us and say, I know what I should be doing. And I use this term quite a lot because I've heard it a million times. I know what I should be doing. I reckon that the vast majority of the population out there, you know, and, and I reckon 99.9% of the listeners to this yeah. would be able to figure out a home workout right now with, with no equipment. Yeah, They're just not willing to do it. You know, it's like building a home gym. A lot of people build home gyms, then go to the gym, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's the environment, it's the atmosphere, it's this, that, the other. And, and the problem is, is that a lot of people train because of the atmosphere. You know, it's like when you go to a cool gym and, you you know, the gym's got loads of equipment and everybody train really hard. You train harder, mm. you know, and sometimes it's the environment. And like what I was saying before, it's the context in which you put the situation. Yeah. See, I love working out, but I tell you what, working out in a room on my own, boring, uh, hotel gyms, despise them a lot of the time. <laughs> I walk in and I'm, I just look at it and I go, I feel flat as a pancake now. I do not want to work out in here. You know, and off you go. Whereas, you know, I look at somebody like, oh, I look at you guys and I'm like, right, I could like jib out onto South Bank and just go and have some fun <laughs> yeah. and get an incredible workout of it. At the same time, just have loads of fun. And that's massively appealing. But as an unskilled individual in what you guys do, I'd be like, Nah, it's not going to be so much fun, really. Mm. It isn't, you know, because I'm going to be doing really basic stuff that it doesn't look fun and probably isn't fun. And <laughs> it's just straight out hard work. Whereas, you know, the thought of being able to, you know, I used to work with a guy who was, you know, he, he qualified for Australia for the gymnastics for the, uh, the Olympic team. And phenomenal. Unbelievable. We were in uh, Venice, actually, and he, he and he did he did a backward somersault from one corner of St. Mark's Square to the other. Whole let. <laughs> No hands, no hands, just flipping, flipping, flipping. Ridiculous. And I'm like, I'd love to be able to do that. <laughs> but I don't love it enough to be able to learn it. Yeah, yeah. No, you you know, your your body type was probably fairly different here, so I would have thought of Phil as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like physical difference, right? He was a contortionist as well. He's like hiding in the most bizarre places. But, uh, but you know, and it's, it's opportunity and it's also uh, convenience. If you guys had a, you know, if you guys had your studio just down the road from here, chances are I'd probably come. Mm. 
And I probably start getting into something different because I want something different. You know, I love jujitsu, but the problem I've got is that there are no jujitsu schools conveniently near me. Yeah. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I don't want it enough. And this, these again, these terms that we use with clients so often, it's just for me to go to the jujitsu club I want to is a three hour round trip. Mm. You know, and that means I'm three hours away from my business. I'm three hours away from my family. I'm three hours away from. So for me, you know, the current gym that we're members of is the nearest gym. It's got nothing to do with anything else. Yeah. It's just, it's the nearest gym, yeah. which means I can get out of the house. You know, we've got a newborn. I can get out of the house and get back as quick as possible. And my workout is very, very different to what it normally would be. You know, normally I'd be a good hour in the gym. You know, now I'm in and out of the gym in 30, 35 minutes, mm. you know, because my hierarchy is different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's in, and you know, it's adapting to that sort of different environment. And I know we kind of, I think we've got off on a bit of a tangent there, but, but it is, it's, it's, it's looking at people's situations and what they're, what they've got access to. And like you say, you know, everybody's got access to doing a nice workout at home using body weight, which is phenomenal. And this is, if you look at Instagram and you look at social media and you look at all these different things, you look at a lot of the people with, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers a lot of them are just giving people workouts to do at home with a set of dumbbells or, a, or you know, improvising using chairs and using. And you look at a lot of them, and we're not even talking calisthenics in many respects, mm. you know, not in the sense of what people yeah, would perceive as general right, fitness, yeah. hanging off things and blah, blah, blah. But really, it's kind of calisthenics. It's, mm. you know, people are, uh, you know, putting their feet on pieces of plastic on carpets and sliding back and forward and putting towels down on, you know, I've got a wooden floor here. It's, I could put a towel on my feet and do a bunch of ab you know, yeah. ab rollouts, whatever it may, might be. And, yeah. and, you know, I could do some hamstring work. I can, you know, I'm, and I've taken my wife through three or four workouts. You know, she's, she's seven, seven weeks after giving birth. So we're just starting to get her moving and doing bits and pieces. But we have a set of, a couple of sets of bands and we go through an entire workout at home in 20, 30 minutes, you know, and she's waking up the next morning. She's like, oh, I'm so sore and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, and we have, you know, we have a couple of kettlebells and bits and pieces and we just use them for whatever they're used for. The other day we were doing shoulder presses with, with bottles of water. Mm. You know, I have a, a massive, like a bodybuilding jug, you know, they're big <laughs> with handles on them, you know, the big vessels that, you know, you stay well and truly high. And, and I just filled up a couple of them and we're doing like single arm rows with them. Yeah. And, and it's improvising. And I think what you guys do, much like a lot of people on social and things like this, is that you provide a tool for people to be able to go away and actually work out and, and to some degree probably make it look fun, mm. you know, is that, it, it, uh, you know, I watched and I don't, I don't know whether, again, you guys might have to edit this out, but <laughs> I've watched some of the, the CrossFit videos for home workouts and the videos do nothing for me. Mm. They're horrendous and it's not got nothing to do with the workout itself. It's got nothing to do, but, but they, it's, I don't know whether you've ever seen them, but they, it's like in some living room that was based in the seventies. <laughs> really bad carpets, really bad curtains, and it's just all really lame music. And it's, there's nothing motivating about it. The workouts are absolutely fine, but there's nothing motivating about it's it. Not sexy. You know, they're, doing, they're doing like kettlebell swings, but with bottles of water and and milk jugs, and yeah. and, I'm like, and I, I look at it and I'm like, I would not want to follow that simply because of the way it's been presented. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and then that's a large part of it. And a lot of these people that are presenting these workouts and bits and pieces that people do on online and through social channels and they have enormous followings is, is because, you know, they do it with a smile on their face and mm. that's a, that's a large part of it. You know, there's a, a good friend, a good friend of mine, uh, Ron Everline, who, who, you know, he's, he's built a massive following called Just Train 
and and all he does he just trains exactly what he says you know and some of his stuff's at home some of his stuff's out and about but he's just using his environment and training in his environment using the equipment or whatever is available to him and does it really well you mm. know I think it's one thing that's, which just resonates with me as you're talking Phil was around it still comes back to that progressive overload thing like I've when, since my little boy was born I knew that I needed to start training more at home because I didn't have the time to get to the gym and back I could find the time but it was a big chunk out of my day that I was I was doing and also super busy with work and I had to commit to going just do 20 minutes be okay with doing 20 minutes I haven't got to do 90 minute session which I might like to do but I've just got to get 20 minutes done and I now actually am at the stage it's coming towards summer so it makes it it makes it easier but I actually want to train at home but that started by being actually quite difficult I used to hate it because yeah, yeah, I by myself yeah. I had a long day I'm in my office where my training kit yeah, is yeah. it was the same environment but now I can go out in the garden and I can do a session and I'm choosing now not to go to the gym to train at home by myself because I actually quite like it but if like you said before if I've just gone all in on that like cancel membership not doing anything like it's a big step it's a big jump for people to, to make so I think that for, for, for me is like a massive takeaway that's it's just you can apply that principle to everything and, and if you wanted to do more calisthenics training well and you've got a gym membership just you could just warm up with a frog stand you could just warm up with a single simple hand balance so you could just build more pull-ups into your program rather than doing as much lap pull down for example it's it's just starting to make that transition and recognizing that that's a process over time and it's what's accessible to people right you know i'm, I'm i've seen this on line of duty for the for the tip i am showing you a barbell on the floor. I don't know you can <laughs> yeah, see that. Yeah, you've got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a barbell sat on the floor. They do that in line of duty. They tell, tell the tape because obviously they can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, yeah, for the for the benefit of the tape, I just showed the chaps a barbell <laughs> sat on my floor in my office. And, uh, and you know, I have, a, I have a full setup outside in my garden. You know, I've got a glute ham raise. I've got the sit in the garage and just wheel it out. It's got wheels on it. And, and you know, I have a full setup in the garden because for me, it's, I need to have that opportunity to be able to work out at home if I need to. And, and I, as I said, you know, that's what you guys are providing. And that's what a lot of people out there are providing. Now it's convenience. It's, it's, uh, it's stuff they can do either at home or out and about or whatever it might be. And it's, it's accessible working out. It's accessible training, right? Yeah. 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 Just sometimes we get questions from people where they get, there's, there's so much stuff out there on social media. Probably, I'm sure nutrition, you get this massively, but we get the same with, with calisthenics where people are confused and will like, is it okay? But I had the question the other day that was, is it okay? I've started doing a bit of calisthenics. Is it okay? And I'm really liking it, but I still like lifting weights. Is it okay for me to do both? And just this idea that like they're just both resistance training, it's just a different type of. But this is this thing about, this is this thing about so cardio. Confused. Like, yeah, we get so confused. Cardio, like, cardio and weight. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. no, it's all resistance training. <laughs> you don't get you don't get on a bike and turn all the resistance off. You get on a bike and turn the resistance on. <laughs> you know, it's it's all resistance training. It's just in a slightly you know cardiovascular training in many respects. It's just resistance training, but just in massive reps. Yeah. massively high reps, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that resistance training, that, that demand on your muscles means that the cardiovascular system is probably the thing that adapts more than the muscles do. So we would think, mm. but all that happens is your muscles get really used to it really quickly. It's like me, if I went out and ran, you know, ran, ran five kilometers now, I'm going to be sore as hell tomorrow because mm. I'm just not used to it. It's not that yeah. I can't do it. My muscles aren't conditioned. I'm just not used to it. Yeah. You know, the impact's going to get to me. Everything's going to get to me. You know, I come and do a workout with you guys. I'm going to be in pain for days after probably, <laughs> you know, because you've got to push me hard. You've got to get me to do things that I'm just not used to. Yeah. But resistance training is resistance training. Mm. And, and however you package it up, 
it's what it is. And, and human movement is human movement. Yeah. And, and the joy of, and like what I was saying earlier about gymnastics and, the, and dance, one of the major things about something like that is that, you know, I get a, let's say I get somebody who was a very good gymnast when they were younger and they haven't been in a weight room, they haven't done anything. I go and get them to do a back squat. That back squat requires pretty much zero coaching because I put the bar on their back and they squat and they squat perfectly. Everything's in alignment, everything's coordinated, everything's this, that, the other. Because in order to do all the things they did in gymnastics, they have no choice but to be functionally, and I I hate to liberally use that term because I think it's just misused massively, Mm. but functionally, uh, it functionally works. You cannot do a, a handstand, for example, if everything mechanically doesn't coordinate with each other. It doesn't, otherwise you fall forward or you fall backwards. That's what it's all about. Is that if you've got somebody who is internally rotated and, uh, you know, their anterior head of the delta is way dominant over their posterior, one of the easiest ways of fixing it, get them to do a handstand. Mm. uh, uh, Sorry, I I shouldn't have said the easiest ways of doing it. (laughs) uh, An easy way to balance an imbalance out like that is to get them to do something that requires that balance to be there. Yeah is that if the human being isn't balanced, you can't do things like like Olympic lifting. Huge amount of respect for Olympic lifting because Olympic lifting, these people are mechanically balanced. You look at physique on a top-level gymnast, uh, you could stick them on a, on a bodybuilding stage, you know. Besides the size and everything like that, the symmetry and the yeah. balance between yeah. the muscle bellies will be almost perfect. Yeah. Because what you've got to remember is that in order to do the things they do in the alignment that they do it in isn't possible unless those muscles are balanced. And yeah, yeah, you get some freaky kind of genetic anomalies where somebody's tricep develops faster than their bicep mm. or whatever it might be. And there will be a couple of things, but for the most part, you look at a gymnast's physique, you look at the physique of a dancer, top-level dancer, you look at the physique of a top-level Olympic lifter, their physiques are so well-balanced, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, the problem with bodybuilding is bodybuilding takes all of those mechanics and it kind of messes with them a little bit. Is that is that you know, it will go right. We can actually do a movement here where, let's say, for example, to chest press. You can do a horizontal push in, in front of you. And just like doing a push-up. A push-up mm. can be done really badly, really badly. You know, very few people actually get any work on their chest whatsoever with a push-up, right? We know this. So if I realign someone on a push-up, it actually hits the areas that we want it to hit and the shoulders are in the right position, the scapula are where they should be and blah, blah, blah. And we can play with all of that. But on a machine where most of that is taken away from you, you can actually manipulate it a bit to make it create this really ugly, nasty-looking physique. And this is what you get with bodybuilders. I look at a bodybuilder, and like what we were talking about right at the very start here, is that it's a needs analysis. A bodybuilder, I'm looking at balance, muscular balance. I'm looking at muscular size, muscular symmetry, all the things that a judge is going to look for. If I'm looking at a... a you know, I dealt with an actor not that long ago and, and part of it was an illusion. He was never, ever going to take his shirt off. So I would treat him very differently because a lot of the stuff that you wanted to see, you didn't need to see, we just had to create an illusion of the fact that underneath it, he looked dangerous. Mm. So, so a lot of what we did was we, 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 we got his shoulders in a better position. You know, we, we did a lot of kind of inadvertent postural work. And again, you know, I think this whole postural correction thing is, is nonsense unless, you know, you can't spend three hours in the gym and correct someone's posture. You know, it, it just does, doesn't work. But, but with respect to longevity over time, we can correct these things by doing the right kind of balanced movements. You know, one of the things I'm sure you guys see, if you get guys going through your programs and things like this over long periods of time, their posture improves. Yeah. Not because you went after it, but because it has no choice. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked you know, about them to be, be able to do what you're teaching. You cannot be posturally incorrect. Yeah. If you, you don't, move, yeah, if you you don't move, over. yeah. If you don't move well, it's, uh, you aren't, you can't do it. It's outcome orientated for you to be able to do that outcome. You need to have movement and you need to have strength. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. We just want to dial in, Phil, because we, we couldn't get you on the podcast without sort of helping us to answer one of the questions that we get a lot. And, I, and I'm gonna just going to tear up for you and let you just wax lyrical for a few minutes rather than, than to lead it because okay. I want to get your, your raw thoughts. But we often get a lot of people saying, can you build muscle with bodyweight training? Or they look at someone's physique, like you say, you look at a gymnast or someone in calisthenics and they go, yeah, you guys lift weights as well. That's not that's, that's not just from, from calisthenics. What are your thoughts around like hypertrophy and, and building muscle with bodyweight training? Is it possible? And if it is, what are the, the sort of the principles that people should think about if they wanted to do that or combine those, those that kind of build that form of training into their into their program? Right. There's several things when it comes to hypertrophy that you require, which can all be achieved through body weight training, through weight training, through pretty much anything. You know, you look at the physiques of uh, CrossFit athletes. You know, people are like, well, he can't build muscle. I'm like, well, yeah, clearly he can. <laughs> you know, and it, I've seen and it. There has, to be a, there has to be a whole bunch of stuff in alignment, of course, and there has to be other things in, into the fray. But essentially, going back on what we talked about earlier, we were talking about progressive overload. You know, when we look at resistance training, resistance training is about either adding more weight to the bar. And this is, this is probably one of the big myths that people think is that the heavier lift, the bigger you'll get, which is nonsense, right? The heavier you lift or the more explosive you lift, we're, we're, we're basically taking muscle tissue that is kind of dormant. You know, we don't really know how strong a human being could potentially get because nobody's really, you know, fulfilled that. But we know that a lot of the muscle tissue that we have is dormant. Your body doesn't need it. So it only uses what it requires to do the day-to-day tasks that you ask of it. Now, with body weight training, and, and again, I'll, I'll pitch this out there to any bodybuilder or anybody who's got an incredible looking physique and is jacked to the eyeballs, get them to do some body weight exercise. Because in theory, in, you know, in the, the argument and the discussion we're having here is that they should be able to do them. You know, maybe mechanically they're not going to be the sound, but for mm. the most part, they should be able to do them. So you would look at a bodybuilder and go, right, in theory, they should be able to do pull-up after pull-up after pull-up after pull-up. You know, when I've been my biggest from a physique perspective, I could probably do one or two pull-ups and that was it. Mm. But I tell you what, I could do pull-downs till the cows came home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but mechanically, remember, it's all it, it, it's all relative, you know. So can you bodybuilder use calisthenics? Absolutely, you can. You know, but there's also got to be all the other factors that are involved with bodybuilding in place, which is, you know, we've got to have mechanical stress, you know, which we can create. We know we can create mechanical stress. We've got to have, uh, you know, kind of metabolic demand, which again, we know we can create. So all of these factors that we need for hypertrophy are all going to exist. But then we've also got to look at obviously food. You know, if you, the, 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 the paradigm that kind of you guys have got is that, if you want to build muscle tissue, muscle tissue is going to make you heavier. If you get heavier, your body weight stuff then becomes more challenging. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, the strength so the to weight ratio balance. That, you know, and, and it's like pull-up, right? The easiest way for me to get someone to do a pull-up in most cases is just to get them to lose weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. got nothing to do with anything else. If I make them lighter, they are going to be able to do a pull-up. So, so, but it kind of meets in the middle, right? Is yeah. that if I'm making them stronger whilst at the same time pulling their body weight down, eventually they're going to meet in the middle and be able to do pull-ups. So it's it comes down to progressive overload. So we've got to still look at, you know, how we put in that demand into the tissue that we require to put it in, which is essentially what bodybuilding is. Yeah, we can do that. 
it maybe isn't as isolated and a lot of the stuff that you guys do is is what we would bracket as compound based movements yeah. is that there's a lot of muscle tissue involved all in one go which is nice are you going to be able to create the kind of hypertrophy probably on your legs yeah that's probably the big question on the on the legs uh, i don't think you'll be able to develop your legs in the same kind of fashion that a a, a bodybuilder would unless genetically you're you know you're riddled with fast twitch fibers which some people are you know, I've seen people do bodyweight stuff and they've got legs like you. I mean, you look at the sprint cyclists, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, incredible wheels. And you look at uh, downhill skiers, quads like you wouldn't believe. But again, there's a reason they're good at what they do. Mm. And there's a reason their quads have developed like that. Whereas other people, you look at them and their quads don't develop. Same as powerlifters. Powerlifters, you get some powerlifters, their legs just, they just explode. Whereas other powerlifters lifting the same kind of weight and the same kind of reps, they don't. And that's to do with a, a genetic fiber type thing. And that's always going to be in the fray. But for the, for the most part, all the principles that we're trying to follow to achieve hypertrophy can be achieved in the weight room, probably slightly easier than it is with you guys, you know, because the simple thing is to let's look at the overhead press, right? How the hell do you guys do that in a regressive fashion? Tricky, right? Yeah. You know, to do a linear overhead press, I mean, just to press immediately straight yeah. above my head. Mm. Very difficult for you guys to regress that and pull that back, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, there's, loads, there's ways to do it, but you need partners, you need bands, you need setups, yeah, yeah. you need all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to regress that. So, so somebody needs probably a foundation of strength, which how would you get that foundation of strength? Either you can just keep doing what you're doing, which means it compounds failure. Is that somebody's just going to keep failing? Unless they're resilient and they're going to keep persisting, they're going to give up. So if I could then get them to do uh, a lot of overhead pressing in the gym alongside attempting to do the stuff that you're attempting to do, we'll probably get there quicker. Mm. So then it all now starts to become very complementary of each other is that there's certain things that, and, and, and it goes back to any type of sports performance is that we start to look at what we call assistance lifts and using other tools to be able to, to do that. And, and you see this regression in, certainly in bodybuilding, where a lot of bodybuilders now use calisthenics as their finisher because it's a light, it's a light load for them at the end. Yeah. You know? Whereas, you know, for you guys jumping straight in without the load and being able to tweak that load and adjust the pin on, a, on something or pick up a lighter set of, you know, your legs, you can't do that. You yeah. can't go to a rack and go, right, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my heavy legs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm use my lighter legs and, and blah, blah, blah. It takes a little bit more thought. Yes. But, but in answer to your question, all the principles that you can achieve through bodybuilding and through equipment and blah, blah, blah can be achieved through calisthenics up to a degree. Yeah. But then could we then say to you guys, right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to simulate overload with you guys by sticking a weighted vest on you. Now, now we can progressively overload. Mm while still using the same sort of principles. I remember I had a client who lost, she, she lost about 10 stone with me. And on the very last workout before I left that facility, we got weighted vests loaded up to 10 stone. <laughs> and, and I made her do a, a very first workout that we did, which was literally, it was like an uphill walk on a treadmill. And I got her to do it with the 10 stone added. And I tell you what, she struggled. And, and can we achieve that? Yeah, we can. Uh, are there limitations? Yes, there are, but the same as the limitations in the weight room. Uh, are they very complementary of each other? Massively. But for the most part, uh, most people out there could probably achieve the physique they desire 
And again, I'm maybe being judgmental here that most people desire that kind of aesthetic sort of look to them. Uh, using body weight, using a sport like gymnastics, using dance, using any of those things, but there will be a genetic element to it. Yeah. Is that I know some phenomenal dancers who look terrible. Yeah. You know, they mechanically function very well. And, I, you know, I've seen some body weight guys who look like they look awful, yeah. but they're very good at what they do. So then the overlying factors become diet, nutrition, blah, blah, blah. And it's no different to bodybuilding is that if you don't feed your body properly, probably won't grow. You probably won't get leaner. You probably won't remain lean. And that is those other factors that have to be involved. Great answer. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for sort of uh, delving uh, into that for us. That was, um, that was pretty much our last, our last question for you, Phil. Um, so if uh, if anyone wants to find out, you know, the, the, well, yeah, from the beginning, the one person that doesn't follow you already, like where does <laughs> where does he or she uh, go to to find out a little bit more about yourself and what you're up to? Uh, you'll find me on Instagram, uh, the PT Coach at the PT Coach. Uh, and my Instagram is largely about you know uh, the coaching populations dealing with coaching stuff. There'll be some uh, you know of my personal life on there now and again. <laughs> I, I like to throw that in the mix. You know, keep everybody up to date as to you know how my life actually is. Uh, at the PT Coach, you'll find all about our academy at the Advanced Coaching Academy So www.advancedcoachingacademy.com. Uh, we've actually got a new uh, element to that business coming out soon, which is going to be based on coaching assets, which is again going to be coachingassets.com, but uh, that won't be live for a while yet. And, and that's just going to be as assistive tools for you know coaching populations you know all the little bits and pieces that they they're probably spending their time doing that they shouldn't be and we're going to try and do them for them and that's kind of complementary to the academy so we have the business academy the nutrition academy and the coaching academy and throughout all of it we're trying to keep that uh you know that standard of coaching you know going up irrespective of what avenue people choose to go down whether they're you know snc coaches whether they're bodybuilding coaches whether they're calisthenics coaches you know it's all to us, it's all the same. And again, I hope, you know, that's kind of came across is that we need that eclectic sort of mix of yeah. different styles, different, you know, methods. And a lot of the time it's just about what do you enjoy? And, you know, I, I, I'm not big into people pushing their belief systems or anything like that on, on anybody. And, and this is largely our industry is that people will go, well, kind of calisthenics is the only way. And we know yeah, full yeah. well it isn't. Yeah. You know, I remember speaking to one of the main guys at the, the, you know, one of the big Pilates instructors, like really well-known Pilates instructors years ago. And, and he was just having a chuckle. He actually used to live next door to me. And he was having a chuckle. He goes, all these people out there that, that are proper into it, they think Pilates will pay their mortgage. He goes, it's ridiculous. He goes, they probably, most of them need to go in the weight room as well. You know, and it was, it was just nice to hear from somebody who was so high up in those echelons where you've kind of got that kind of obsession and yeah. you'll get it as well, I'm sure, where you get these like super fans who are like calisthenics is the only way. It's all, you know, it's all you should be doing. I'm like, well, no, it isn't all you should be doing. Yeah. You know, it's all you could be doing, but there's complimentary stuff. You like go to the gym once in a week and lift some weights and do some Olympic lifting or whatever the hell it might be. Go do it. Mm. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's all movement. It's all good for the human uh, functionality. It's all good for the human well-being, and, and it gets people moving. And Largely, I don't care how people do it. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I definitely recommend Phil's social. The one thing I think you do brilliantly, Phil, from a trainer's perspective and from anybody else is, is you keep people honest. Like he's some, some real poignant stuff that comes and um, cuts through everything and hits a, hits a point on the mark. And it's a, a really good general, uh, 
regular reminders of, of the things that we should be focusing on and the things that are actually important in a space where we can get distracted by lots of shiny other things which can pull people's <laughs> attention in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, so, sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, we'll put the uh, so yeah we recommend you go uh, check fill out and we'll put the we'll put some of those links in the show notes so it's dead easy for people awesome. to to click straight through um, to you. So Phil Lully, thanks so much for for spending the time and imparting your knowledge. We massively appreciate it. I know you're, you're a busy guy, um, so really uh, yeah, we appreciate you giving that giving us that attention and some support. So until next time, class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a load of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good. Keep it five. Five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> And if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. Uh-huh.